0: So this morning, I knew that last week that I said we were going to be talking about the resurrections. I knew I said that, but that's going to have to wait. I'm going to have to wait a little bit because I was jumping the gun and I'm trying to put things in order in my own understanding as the scriptures open up to me like a flower, like a mushroom. So... As I begin today, I want everybody to know that I understand that in the end, there will be fire, there will be judgment, there will be wrath, there will be punishment for sin. I know all that. The Bible talks about a lake of fire. Who can read the Bible and not see those things, okay? So I do understand that all those things are there and some people are speaking as though I've changed my mind about some of those things and of course. Nothing could be further from the truth, but I do have an understanding of those things now that will help you and will help us understand who God is. For the past several months, I have been saying that the body of Christ does not understand what God's judgment is in the Bible. They don't understand what that is. And more importantly, they don't understand the purpose of what God is doing. They don't understand the purpose of judgment. So in this message today, you are going to see verses in your Bible that you have never seen before. Even if you've read them, you'll wonder how you could have thought about them, what you thought about them, in the light of the full revelation of the Word of God. But as we begin this morning, I just want to read you this verse from the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, and verse 1. Therefore, we ought to give the more Earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any time we should let them slip. For if the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? So notice in verse 2 that every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. Now, this is important a just recompense of reward, not an unjust recompense. A reward, okay, because Christendom will put an unjust recompense upon man's sin and upon man's failure. You see, all of Christendom knows about Judgment Day, the day of judgment. The common conception, the common idea that Christendom has in their minds concerning judgment is that it's a short period of time, somewhere in the future, where every human being will be presented before God and sentence will be pronounced according to what every man has done at that judgment people will either hear, come ye blessed of my father or depart ye cursed. That is what is taught by every denomination and every religion in the world. So naturally the horror and the dead, dreadful anticipation of this day have lurried both the saved and the unsaved and have troubled people to the point where they can't even sleep at night. And this has been taught for 2,000 years. And of course, if you're a person who's been taught that you can lose your salvation, then how could you not be worried about this, because what if you die on the day that you lost your salvation? (laughs) Right? This could be a terrible event. So I'm going to say something that will cause you to scratch your head and say, Brother Rodney, what are you talking about? What are you saying? And then I'm going to show you From our King James Bible, what the Bible has to say about judgment. So, I will tell you this, first of all, before I tell you that little thing. This is not the day of judgment. This is not it. This is not what it's going to be like. Now, before I tell you what will shock you, let me tell you that this is the God of Greek mythology that was literally adopted by the Christian, by Christendom, and fostered, and nurtured, and groomed to be this God, but this is not the God of the Bible. Some people will say God is love. Yeah, but he's also a God of justice and he's also a God of wrath. And I've said that myself before. I've said, yes, God is a God of justice, but a God of wrath. But in his love, he made a way out of his wrath. That's what I used to always say. The Bible does not say that God is justice or that God is wrath. The Bible says that God is love. And everything God does flows out of his love. In other words, when there is judgment, it does proceed out of his love. Today, you're going to learn what judgment is in the word of God. When God displays wrath, it's out of his love. And it has a purpose. And it has a goal. And it has a meaning behind it that transcends everything you have ever been taught about God's judgment. Everything God does has your best interest at heart and has all of humanity's best interest at heart. Now, here's the statement that is going to shock you. And then I'm going to show it to you from your King James Bible because. We have all been duped into accepting a false narrative of God. And I'll tell you, this message is just the introduction to this awesome and amazing subject. But here's what I'm going to say that will cause you to scratch your head and go, huh? The times of God's judgments are a time of blessing and universal rejoicing, a time to be longed for and hope for and look forward to with the highest hopes and the most joyous anticipations. Ever heard anything like that before? Concerning God's judgment? No. That's not what you hear about God's judgment. That's not anything like that you've ever heard about God's judgments. We've seen the judgment upon Sodom and Gomorrah with God raining down fire and brimstone from heaven. And we look at that with fear and trepidation, but we do not know, but you will know, we do not know what God has to say about Sodom and Gomorrah later on in that King James Bible. You don't know. You know why I know you don't know? because I know you never heard it, because I know everything you've heard. I know everything the Pentecostal church had to teach. I know everything the Plymouth Brethren had to teach. I know everything the Nazarene church had to teach. I know everything the Independent Fundamental Baptists had to teach. I know everything dispensationalism has to teach. I know where they get it. I know where they learned it. I know who taught it to them. I know all of that. And I know that you've never heard what you're going to hear, and it's all so clear and plain in your King James Bible and so encouraging. But you will learn things in the next couple of weeks that will bless your hearts beyond anything you could have ever dreamt of. Remember this verse in James chapter 5, Behold, we count them happy which endure, Ye have heard of the patience of Job. Remember, Job went through an ordeal unlike any man, right? Where, I mean, he lost everything. He, had, he was struck with boils and you name it. And then notice it says, And have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. Why does James say that the end of the Lord, the end of the Lord is very pitiful, which means he has, he's full of pity for his creation, for man, and he's of tender mercy. That is the God of the Bible. He says that because the end of the Lord, the way things will be in the end, are not like this. It's not like this. This is what Christendom has taught for 2,000 years. This is not the end of the Lord. Is it possible that we have followed, or I should say not followed, the Bible's teaching on judgment because... We have not compared spiritual things with spiritual things. Has not Christendom and the cults and the religions of the world turned God into a despot and a monster and a fiend and a treacherous savage who's sitting in heaven anxiously waiting to send 99% of his creation to a burning lake of fire to suffer and to be tortured for all of eternity. Is that not the God that Christendom has given the world for the past 2,000 years? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. The common view that has been accepted by Christendom of God is that God created man, Satan came along and blindsided. God wasn't aware that was going to happen. And Satan derailed God's plan for man. And from that time forward, God has been trying to repair what the devil did. But God can only do his best in light of the condition of the world the way it is now. He's having a hard time fixing what the devil did. And then, in the end, God will save some of the billions of people who have lived and died, but he'll only be able to save a small fraction of them because his adversary did such a great job in blindsiding him, and the rest of humanity are going to spend eternity Suffering in the flames of hell, whether they had the opportunity to hear the gospel or not. That's the view that we have all accepted from Christendom. Never would Christendom think that the omnipotent God could just as easily have prevented what happened as he allowed it to happen. Think about that. What kind of God would not prevent such a catastrophe from happening if he had the power to do it? What kind of God would not stop that? Let me tell you what kind of God would not stop or prevent the fall of man. It's the God of creation who has a plan and he has a purpose for everything that has ever happened, for what happened back then, and everything that has happened in history, all of it ultimately will redound to his glory and his praise and his worship. That's the kind of God who would allow those things to happen. But what man can understand that? I will tell you what man can understand that. The man who understands judgment in the word of God. That man can understand this. So we're going to let the word of God today define what judgment is in the word of God, rather than allowing Christendom to define what judgment is in the word of God. I've heard preachers say that America has a church on every street corner and will be judged worse than other nations because America is without excuse. Have you ever heard something like that before? You've heard that, right? You've heard that, right? Let me tell you something about that. The fact that there is a church on every corner in America is the very reason why there are so many unbelievers in America. That's the reason. They look at Christendom with its 40,000 denominations, and they say, and, and, and it's many varied ways of salvation and many ways to approach God. And the world looks at Christendom and says, you are really confused and you are all sick. Led Zeppelin wrote a song about us called Dazed and Confused. If you don't know what that song is, that's too bad for you, but maybe they didn't write it about us. But they should have if they didn't. The world says, why would I believe in your God? I will tell you that religion has created more atheists and more unbelievers than the world has ever known. Religion has done that. Religion has done that. Religion has a God that they have fabricated. Augustine, the great big thinker of Christendom. Augustine, the Catholic. And this God that he fabricated was raised up and fostered and nurtured by Christendom. I do not believe in the God of Christendom. I believe in the God of the Bible, who you're going to learn about today. This is not the God of the Bible. You don't know who he is. You're going to learn about him right now. What is judgment in the Bible? Start writing these verses down. First of all, let me show you something. Let me show you something. Remember this from last week? This is a mosaic. Every little square is an individual piece of glass that was glued on to a piece of wood until it forms one picture. And last week I said that the Word of God is like a mosaic. Every single piece of glass represents a verse of scripture and every verse of scripture is absolutely necessary in order to understand the whole bible of god you cannot just like here we are in the dispensation of grace we write dividers here we are this little square right here and that's what we study and i don't blame you of course we study that's where we are that's where the body of christ is but look we're not it There's a whole revelation of God. And listen to what the Apostle Paul said in Romans 15, verse 4. For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning. Why? That, in order that, we, through patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might have hope. Hope, not despair and fear. Hope. So, who are the scriptures written for? For our learning. This is written by the apostle to the Gentiles. For our learning. And then in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul talking about Israel and the things they lusted after. And then he says this, Now all these things happened unto them for in samples, notice, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. So we can rest with absolute certainty that the word of God is speaking to us as much as it was speaking to them in the scriptures when God was speaking to them. We right dividers have been focused on Paul's letters to us for so long that we forget that what was written in the past, we all heard that it's for you, but it's not to you. We've all heard that the whole Bible is for you, but it's not to you. You know how man is a negative creature. You tell me it's not to me, okay. I got an email from a lady saying, I don't like being instructed from the Old Testament. Oh, is that right? You don't like being instructed from the Old Testament? Then argue with Paul. Not with me. So now, what I want to do is help you understand from the word of God, what God's judgment is. Are you ready for this? Habakkuk chapter one, verse 12. Art thou not from everlasting, O Lord, my God, mine holy one? We shall not die. O oh Lord, thou hast ordained them for judgment. Now the them is the Chaldeans, that's why I said, write down the verse so you can come back. It's the Chaldeans who were used as God's tool to do something for His people. What was it? Thou hast ordained them for judgment. and Almighty oh God, thou hast established them. For correction. The verse says, Thou hast ordained them, referring to the Chaldeans, which he's using as a weapon against his own people. Why is all that happening? According to this, the purpose is for judgment, and judgment is for correction. That's the purpose of judgment. That's one of them. You have children, and they do something wrong, and so you punish them. What's the purpose of the punishment? It's for correction. It's so that they will learn how to represent your family in a way that brings honor to your family's name. That is the true purpose of judgment, okay? Now, here's a beautiful verse, and you're gonna write this one down and you're gonna remember it, okay? Because this verse is one of the most important verses in your Bible concerning judgment. Matter of fact, when you read about judgment in your Bible, you have to hold this verse up next to it because it defines it for you, okay? We're talking about Isaiah chapter 26. Notice verse 8, yea, in the way of thy judgments, O Lord, have we waited for the desire of our soul is to thy name and to the remembrance of thee. With my soul have I desired thee in the night. Yea, with my spirit within me will I seek thee early. Now, why all this waiting and longing and this desire? Listen, for when thy judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. Notice what this verse does not say. It does not say, when thy judgments are in the earth, you will annihilate the inhabitants of the earth. You will destroy the inhabitants of the earth. No, it doesn't say that. It says, when thy judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world, all the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. And that is a reason for rejoicing. They're longing for this. This is their desire. And this is God's ultimate plan and goal and purpose for his creation. So now two things about judgment that probably until a couple minutes ago, you did not know. Number one, judgment is for correction. And secondly, when thy judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. This is not something we've ever thought about in connection with judgment. No, this is what we think about. There's no correction here. Nobody's learning any righteousness here. Not here. But in God's judgment, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. Notice in Zephaniah chapter 3. Therefore wait ye upon me, saith the Lord, until the day that I rise up to the prey. For my determination is to gather the nations, that I may assemble the kingdoms to pour upon them mine indignation. Even all my fierce anger, for all the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. Now, let me ask you something. Does that sound like judge? That sounds like judgment, right? What's the purpose of this? What's the purpose of this? Verse nine, for then will I turn to the people a pure language. That they may all call upon the name of the Lord to serve him with one consent. Hold on one second. I have to take care of something. Stand this, folks. You don't see what's going on, but there's somebody on Facebook. Curry Ann is sending up all these angry faces. She's just being a nasty little witch this morning. So I thought I'd block her, but... I blocked her yesterday. I can't block her again. I blocked her, then unblocked her and told her a couple things. And anyway, so Curry Ann, why don't you try behaving for once? Where was I? Oh, that's right. Verse nine, all right. For then will I turn to the people a pure language that they may all call upon the name of the Lord to serve him with one consent. Notice that they may all, who's the all? Who's the all? Verse eight, for my determination is to gather The nations. Why? That I may assemble the kingdoms. Well, what kingdoms? Well, all the kingdoms of the earth. And what's going to happen with all the kingdoms of the earth? They're all going to get a pure language. What language will that be? Probably going to be Hebrew, because Hebrew is God's language. If you remember, Genesis chapter 11 at the Tower of Babel, and there was one language, and it wasn't the language from God, it was a language of rebellion against God, and God scattered them all. Remember that? But now God is going to assemble all the nations, and they will get a new language, and what will happen? when all the kingdoms of the earth get that pure language. Verse 9, that they may all call upon the name of the Lord. Why? To serve him with one consent. They're all going to be in agreement with each other about God. And why would God do that? Because that's God's plan for mankind. Verse 8 looks really bad. Verse 8 looks bad, but think about it. It says that at the end of verse 8, the earth shall be devoured with the fire of my jealousy. That is not literal, real literal fire. Fire of jealousy is not literal fire. That's not a big lighter fire. It's the fire of God's jealousy where he's consuming out of man the things that do not belong to him, that do not resemble him as he's performing something that we're going to talk about more as time goes on. But here's a a shorter concept of this whole verse right here found in Psalm 90, verse 3. Thou turnest man to destruction. That sounds bad. And sayest, return, ye children of men. If this destruction is the total destruction of man himself, then how could God say return? Can't destroy them and say return. (laughs) You cannot say return to somebody that you have just destroyed and sent to hell. So what is this destruction? If it's not the outward man, then it has to be something that has to do with the inward part of man that will be destroyed. We'll be talking about that in a, in a couple of weeks, in the next couple weeks, when we talk about fire in the Bible. We're going to talk about that because that's an inter- interesting subject also. But this is the way God does things in his dealings with men throughout all of history. Never with the thought of permanent punishment for all of eternity, with no respite. Look at this verse in Deuteronomy 32, 39. See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God with me. I kill, and I make alive. I wound, and I heal. Neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand. Nobody's going to stop this from happening. I kill, I make alive. I wound, I heal. Nobody's going to stop that from happening. Notice this testimony from God himself in Hosea chapter 6. Come and let us return unto the Lord, for he hath torn and he will heal us. He hath smitten, and he will bind us up. This is how God works. God does this. Look at this, First Samuel 2, 6. The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. In other words, the grave when, it's, when somebody's in the grave, it's not over. It's not over. Why? He bringeth up. That's the testimony of Scripture. Remember Job chapter 5, verse 18, For he maketh sore, and he bindeth up. He woundeth, and his hands make whole. Folks, that's the perfect picture of God's judgment always with the the intent of restoration, not annihilation. That's the picture we've had in our minds for years, that God wants to destroy everything. Even in destruction, thou turnest man to destruction and sayest, return, ye children of men. There's a purpose why God wounds and makes sore is so that men will return to the Lord. This is what judgment does. It's not destruction for eternity. It's destruction for the purpose of bringing man back to himself. And I'm just going to throw this out right now. God right now is in the process of creating, of making his creation, into the image of his son. That's a longer subject than that sentence. But if you can wrap your head around that and see the big plan of God, that God is not some monster sitting up there. God is in the business of saving. That's what God is in the business of. That's what the God who is love is in the business of doing. I'm going to show you a verse. This is, that, this is the second coming of Jesus Christ. The second coming of Jesus Christ at the end of Daniel's 70th week. Isaiah chapter 63, verse one. Who is this that cometh from Edom with dyed garments from Basra, this that is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength? I that speak in righteousness, Who's that that speaks in righteousness? That's Jesus Christ. What is he doing? Mighty to save. The second coming of Jesus Christ. We always picture that. as like, ah, there's destruction. Mighty to save. That's what he's coming to do. He's coming to save. This is a great promise from almighty God himself. Because God is in the saving business. There are many promises about judgment in the Old Testament. But now that judgment is correction, and when God's judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. So how many of you have always taught that judgment was total annihilation and destruction of multiplied billions of God's created beings. Be honest. How many of you thought that? You did. You all taught. Why you all thought that? Because that's what we've all been taught. It's not what the Bible teaches. This is what the Bible says judgment is right here. And this is good news. Picture like this. That came from Augustine. We've all had this picture in our mind for years, many years. Now, when we arrive at the New Testament, what does the Bible say there? Well, there's a prophecy in uh, Isaiah 11. I'm going to put it up here in a second. That happened, is what, is, this is what's going to happen in the millennial reign of Christ. Well, Isaiah 11:10, 10. And in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it, to the, that ensign, the Gentiles shall seek and, in, and his rest shall be glorious. How are the Gentiles going to seek if they're all destroyed at the second coming? How in the world is that going to happen? And his rest? shall be glorious. This is the millennial reign of Jesus Christ. Now, Matthew recognizes this in Matthew chapter 12, where he says, and in his name shall the Gentiles trust, referring to this. But what comes before these ver- this verse in Matthew chapter 12? Matthew 12, verse 18. Behold my servant, that's Jesus Christ, whom I have chosen, my beloved in whom my soul is well-pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he shall shew judgment to the Gentiles. What is judgment? Judgment is correction. And when God's judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. If they're learning righteousness, is that not a time of rejoicing for the whole world? Now, the next verse is how you know that judgment is not going to be the destruction of man. Watch, Matthew twelve nineteen. So he shall not strive, nor cry, neither shall any man hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed shall he not break, and smoking flax shall he not quench, till he send forth judgment unto victory. And in his name shall the Gentiles trust. Now, this is picturesque language. The bruised reed here is just the picture of a man that is just totally bruised and battered. But Jesus Christ is not going to finish him off, not going to break him. And then the smoking flax is the picture of a lamp. It's running out of oil. And it starts to smoke just before it goes out. It'll start to smoke and then it's going to go out. A smoking flax. Notice there's a smoking flax. He will not quench. He's not going to destroy it. He's not going to snuff it out. What's he going to do? Notice. Till he send forth judgment unto victory. Judgment unto victory. What did you ever think judgment was unto victory? You never thought that. But this is the judgment that when God's judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. That's why it's judgment unto victory. And that's when the Gentile nations will trust in his name. We always think of the day of judgment as a day that, as, as though it were only a day, I should say. We all think of the, that it's going to happen in one day. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not teach that judgment, that this time of people learning righteousness will be one day. Notice in 2 Peter chapter 3 But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men But beloved be not ignorant of this one thing one day is with the Lord as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. So notice here that by the same word are kept in sort, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment. The day of judgment. What definition would you put to that? Huh? The day of judgment is the day when they learn righteousness. and it's not one day. It's a time of correction and learning righteousness. This will last for a thousand years. During the thousand year reign of Christ is when this is all going on. What will be going on in those days? What will be going on in those days? I'm going to read you a couple passages from the book of the Revelation. What I'm going to read you now is happening actually at Daniel's, at the end of Daniel's 70th week the end of the tribulation period. That's what it's often called, right? Time of Jacob's trouble. Listen to these words, Revelation 14, 6. And I saw another angel fly in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth. And to every nation and kindred and tongue and people, Saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his indignation is come. Now he's saying here to every nation and kindred and tongue and people to give glory to God. If judgment was total destruction, like we've always thought, would people from all kindreds and tongues and every nation worship the Lord? of course not. How could they? Notice those words, for the hour of his judgment is come. What does that mean? The verses we just read are right here at the end of Daniel's 70th week. Angels preaching the gospel to every kindred and nation and tongue. And they're going to worship God. And when he says for the hour of his judgment is come is the hour when Jesus Christ is returning. And when God's judgments are in the world, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness and they're rejoicing. And what's exactly is going to happen at that day? I'm going to show you a verse you've always misunderstood. It's in the book of Jude. Let me do this again. Jude chapter, there's only one chapter, so it's verse 14. And Enoch also, the seventh from Adam, prophesied of these, saying, Behold, the Lord cometh with ten thousands of his saints. Why? To execute judgment. Now that sounds ominous. That sounds ominous with the brain of Christendom inside your head. But what is the judgment? Notice, to convince all that are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds, which they have ungodly committed, and all their hard speeches, which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. When when Jesus Christ returns and judgment comes to the earth, God will convince the ungodly of their ungodly deeds and their ungodly speeches. And in, in essence, what will he be doing? He'll be correcting them. And when his judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. And all the nations of the world are going to rejoice at that. Look at Revelation fifteen three, And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. Who shall not fear thee, O Lord, and glorify thy name? For thou only art holy, for all nations shall come and worship before thee. Now, why is the writer of the Revelation saying, Thy ways are just and true, and who shall not fear thee and glorify thy name, and that all nations shall come and worship before thee? Why is he saying that? Notice, for thy judgments are made manifest. When God's judgments are in the world, the people will learn righteousness And that's why I said at the beginning of this message, the time of God's judgments are a time of blessing and a universal rejoicing, a time to be longed for and hoped for, a time to be looked forward to with great anticipation and the highest hopes of joy. Because we never understood that God's judgments were his teaching righteousness. We never thought that. We never learned that. I mean, look at verse four. For all nations shall worship before him. Really? Does the Bible teach that? Does the Bible teach that all nations shall worship before him? I don't know. How about this? Isaiah 2, 2. And it shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations. This is the millennial reign of Christ. And all nations shall flow into it. When we say that the gospel is good news, we mean the gospel is good news. God means the gospel is good news. The gospel is not bad news. Psalm twenty-two, twenty-seven: 27, all the ends of the world shall remember and turn unto the Lord and all the kindreds of the nations shall worship before him. For the kingdom is the Lord's, and he is the governor among the nations. That's what's coming. Isaiah sixty-six twenty-three. 23, And it shall come to pass that from one new moon to another, and from one Sabbath to another, shall all flesh come to worship before me, saith the Lord. Psalm 86, 9, All nations whom thou hast made, shall come and worship before thee, O Lord, and shall glorify thy name. For thou art great, and doest wondrous things, for thou art God. Isn't this what the angel was talking about at the birth of Christ? Luke 2, 9. And lo, the angel of the Lord came unto them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were sore afraid, and the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy. Notice, which shall be to all people. The angels, Jesus Christ comes into the world and the angel says, Listen, this is great news for all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Can you see all the verses we just looked at? I would be excited if I were you. But I'm going to close with this today. Something that Paul said on Mars Hill to the pagan Athenian heathens that were there. There was an inscription to the unknown God. And he said, whom you ignorantly worship, let me tell you who he is. Then he talks about the God which made heaven and this and that. and in whom we live and move and have our being. And then Paul says in Acts seventeen thirty one, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness. He will judge. What, is, what happens when God's judgments are in the earth? The inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. Yeah, yeah, that's what judgment means. He will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. Judge the world in righteousness. Before you understood that when God's judgments are, when his judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness, that would scare you. It was petrifying. But now we know that when God's judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. Acts chapter 17, 31 is the promise of blessing unto all men. That's what that is. Then we read a moment ago that Jesus Christ will bring forth judgment unto victory victory, not disappointment, not sadness, not fear, not trepidation. And I'm going to tell you that the beautiful thing about what we looked at today is that we who are saved by grace through faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, we have a part in this whole thing in the ages to come. I can't get into that right now because our time literally is up. But you can be assured that there's a reason why you are saved today by grace. It's more than the fact that you're just saved from hell. It's more than that. We talk about Ephesians chapter 2:7 that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace Who's he going to show that to in the ages to come? What are the ages to come? Throughout the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, we have a part of showing the rest of the world who are learning righteousness, what God did by grace, and he's going to do the same thing for them. Never thought of it that way. I know that. I understand that. This is new. A lot of this is new, but it's not new to God. It's been there forever. But there's a reason why we are the people who are saved today by grace, because we're going to participate in God's program. So I'm just going to close with one more thing. I just want to remind you of this. God has a plan. God has a plan that is bigger than what you and I have been led to believe. Okay, I learned the same things you learned. I haven't always been standing behind this place. I sat in pulpit for years, in pews for years. And I learned what you learned. I was there. There were so many things I would go, huh? And then I found out that things that were written aforetime were written for our learning. And that those things were examples for us. Here's the verse I want to close with, okay? I hope you take this with you because this is God's plan for you. This is God's plan for everyone. Israel are an object. lesson. this was written, the verse we're going to read was written to Israel. But they're our, they're our example. What God says about them is going to happen to every nation in the world. We, don't, we never looked at it that way, but that's exactly what God's plan is. You're going to learn more about that in the next coming week, those of you who stick around. But here's the verse, Jeremiah 29, 11. God says, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. There's something amazing in the end of this journey. We may not understand all the suffering that is in the world right now. We do not understand it. But if you remember, Jesus Christ was perfected through the things which he suffered. And Jesus Christ is the prototype of every single person that God ever created. Every single person God created is going to be conformed to the image of his son. Now, I know you don't understand everything that I just said right there. But I got a whole message coming up just on that subject about how what he went through had a purpose. I've often said in the past that Jesus Christ, God became a man, the pre-existent, eternal son of God became a man so that he could identify with man. No, I said, I've been saying that wrong for years. He became a man, went through the things he suffered, So we could identify with him and understand we're following in his path. We're following in his steps. We're going to end up like that ourselves. That is God's plan for his creation. If you think God in the beginning created man and let that happen in the garden for no reason, you don't know. You don't know the plan of God's plan is that what he started in that garden is going to be completed the same, the exact way that he wants it to happen because he works all things after the counsel of his own will. Everything that has happened, happens, and it's headed in that direction. And it's a great direction, and it's a great hope. God is in the saving business, but we have no idea. I told you I was going to ask you a question that had five answers, actually found six now that have an- that, ha- that the question has answers to, that that one question has an answer to, but I'm not going to talk about it today because really our time is done. But today where we live, God sent his son for us to hang, bleed, and die on a cross. We're a unique space of time in the word of God. We're in the dispensation of grace. We're the only people, over the past 2,000 years, we're the only people who've lived in that period of time where God is not imputing your sin to you. That's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. That's what Paul said. I didn't say that. He said that. But this period of time has a purpose in the whole plan. Because in the whole plan, we will be taken out of here and we will be brought into this place when god is fulfilling the rest of his plan and we are going to be an example of how god works in grace and everybody cuz you and i we're all going to be conformed to the image of christ when well, it's not happening today there's not one person conformed to the image of christ right now but it is going to happen but what we don't understand is god's plan that's god's plan for all the nations of the world. Next week, like I said, this is just an introduction to this subject, but next week, I'm gonna show you so many verses in your Bible that substantiate and validate this message from today. Just, that's all I'll be doing next week. I won't even be talking, I'm just gonna be showing you. From Genesis to Revelation, the most unbelievable verses in your Bible that you ever saw? It overwhelms me when I read all those verses, and there are many. I think it will, ta- it will probably take the whole hour just to go through the verses one at a time. And you will be blessed. Those of you who want to know what the Bible says, you will be blessed. Those people who want to stick with the Augustonian view of God and, his, and this mad monster who wants to send everybody to hell, you're, you're not going to see these truths. You're not going to see it. But those of you who want to believe your Bible and believe the words on the page, and now you have this new understanding, this most important understanding of judgment is Isaiah chapter 26, that when his judgments are in the earth, The inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. That's God's plan. That is God's plan. And nobody's going to undo it, whether they believe it or not. doesn't matter to me if you don't believe it. I told my wife, I told my wife at lunch Sunday, uh, last Sunday, that we may just go back to my office at home and just have church from there forever after this. Because if people can't enter into an understanding of this, I'm not going to be responsible for that. Because if people want to leave, you're very welcome to leave if that's what you want to do. But that's how it's going to be. If I have to go back and just teach from my office, I will. But this is I'm seeing what the Bible says. I'm more interested in the Bible than what religion has taught for years. Because this kind of teaching that we've had it affects the conscience of man it affects how you look at human beings it affects how you treat your neighbor this whole scary thing that is christendom is not healthy for humanity and look at what it has done in the world and look at all the religions in the world because men do not understand isaiah chapter 26 and it's not that's not that's just one verse but look at the verses we looked at today So I just hope that your hearts will be open and attentive and you'll want to learn what the Bible says because I'm just sticking with this from now on. That's it. I don't want to know anything else. But anyway, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, so this is a good day to believe that Jesus Christ died for you, that he was raised from the dead, that he was buried and raised from the dead, and you trust that's it for the forgiveness of your sins. Let's pray. Our gracious God, our Father, I'm thankful this morning that we can open the scripture and look at the Word of God and just the Word of God and remove everything that has nothing to do with God and His purpose for mankind. I pray these things today in that name that is above every name, the name of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. And, folks, those.